Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Like, oh my god, dude, you're not even gonna, like, (laughs) believe this, but this is totally my first episode of Zoo News that, like, I am recording in, like, Los Angeles, dude, L.A. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. No one out here really speaks like that, by the way. If you if you haven't been to Los Angeles, um, yeah, that's just a it's just a '90s TV sitcom trope, whatever. Um, but that is correct. I am here in La Mirada, which is technically, I guess, right outside LA or still kind of in LA. I don't know. LA is confusing, but, um, it is awesome. I am having an amazing time. I am visiting amazing facilities. I have recorded some amazingly cool interviews already, and I have so many more lined up. Y'all, the podcast is thriving. Oh, I wish I could tell you all the cool things that are coming, but I can't yet, but they're coming and they're going to be cool and it's awesome. And if that ain't zoo news, I don't know what is. Actually, yes, I do. This, this is Zoo News. So welcome to Rossafari Zoo News. If this is your first time here, or if you're really forgetful, uh, this is a podcast where I share what is happening in the world of zoos and aquariums and conservation and weird animal stuff. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing this week's stories with you. And holy cow, do I have a lot. I feel like I feel like I have about two weeks worth of stories. So um, some of these might get pushed back a week. But I first needed to tell you, like I said, in LA, having a great time. Things going well. Good. Second of all, I have some news about the Rossafari podcast you know, the one you're listening to right now, a website known as feedspot.com recently assessed over 1000 conservation podcasts. And like, let's just pause for a second and appreciate the fact that there are over a thousand conservation podcasts. And we're not just talking animals, we're talking all kinds of conservation. But as you know, it all goes together. It's all different kinds of conservation working together. And uh, they made a list of the best 35 conservation podcasts. And it, it was rated on a number of things from stuff like social media followers all the way to just the freshness of your content. And clocking in at number 25 was the Rossafari podcast. How cool is that? A top 25 podcast in the conservation world. Out of like a thousand, I'm really proud of that. And I want to thank y'all for being here and being a a part of this. They also did a list that was the best 25 aquarium podcasts. And uh, I was actually rated number six on that list. Yay! Granted, there are a heck of a lot less aquarium podcasts out there, um, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I feel good about that. Uh, as of my recording of this, they have not yet uh, released one about zoo podcasts, but um, hopefully I'd be on that one too. So uh, yay, potential future happiness as well. Woo! 
And seriously, y'all, I really love that you're here for this adventure. I love that this podcast is growing and expanding and the community is getting uh, bigger and, and busier and more interactive. I talk to so many of you every day now. It's, it's truly heartwarming. I dig it. I dig it a lot. Uh, so thank you all for being here. And um, don't forget, there are a couple of things that you can do to make yourself a, a bigger part of the community. Um, if you would like to support the podcast financially for as little as $3 a month, you can go to patreon.com slash rasafari and support the pod. There are some cool perks there. And um, also, it just it helps me because like I do have to drive to do these interviews and sometimes get hotel rooms and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always nice to, uh, to get some help with all of that expense and I appreciate it. Um, but if you're not going to do that or can't afford to do that or heck, just don't want to do that, uh, you can still help out in a lot of ways. Share the podcast with people. Tell people about it. Uh, numbers, numbers matter. And also make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Rossafari and on TikTok at Rossafari Pod. And yeah, just, you know, be a part of this community. Share things with me. Speaking of which, this is a crowdsourced news podcast. So if you see any stories that would fit the bill, go ahead and tag me in them or DM them to me or email them to me, rasafaripod at gmail.com. And you'll get to hear your name at the end of the episode that it appears in. And sometimes other ones, because I do a really bad job of maintaining the list of contributors week to week, and I never want to leave anyone out. So if I can't remember if you sent something, then sometimes I say your name multiple times for one story. And that's fun for everyone, right? And speaking of fun for everyone, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. Okay, it is time to get to this episode, and uh, whew, I really mean that it's time to get to this episode because it's currently 4.13 p.m. Uh, on the day that it's supposed to come out at, um, well, actually, I'm, I'm Pacific Coast right now, so it's supposed to come out at 9 p.m., and I have a show tonight, and I kind of forgot that it was Thursday and that I have to, you know, do this. In my quest to go to cool zoos and get amazing content for the podcast, I literally forgot to make a podcast. So without further ado, you can now listen to the podcast that I am frantically trying to make. Yay. <laughs> All right, here we go. One, two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a binturong. It's news. Yeah. We start off with some great news from the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, Fiona the hippo 
has turned five years old. That's right. The famous hippo who really shouldn't have made it has totally made it and is now a sassy, wonderful five-year-old. We all know Fiona, so I don't have to do like a super deep dive here, but you can go back and, and listen to the hashtag Team Fiona episode from season one if for some reason you, you don't know that story or if you just want, you know, more details from uh, one of her keepers back then to now. But... um. It's really, 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 really exciting that uh, Fiona has made it to five years old. What an incredible story. On a sadder note, Zoo Atlanta this week announced the death of Ozzy. Ozzy, the gorilla, was 61 years old and was found deceased by his care team when they showed up in the morning. He was the third oldest gorilla in the world. Ozzy had seemed perfectly healthy until January 20th when he started to show some symptoms of sickness, including decreased appetite, and the uh, animal care and veterinary teams were working with him to try to get him to eat, and then he started exhibiting facial swelling, weakness, and uh, the inability to eat or drink at all, as opposed to just showing a lack of interest in doing so. Um, the, the team tried to, to take care of him, but unfortunately he didn't make it through the night and, and passed away. And the cause of death is currently unknown, though there will be a necropsy and the zoo has promised to share whatever they find in it. There has been some speculation that this might have something to do with the uh, COVID that went through the gorilla population at Zoo Atlanta earlier this year, but at this time it is just speculation. Ozzy had been at the zoo... Since the 1980s, and was the only surviving member of the original generation of gorillas who arrived at Zoo Atlanta with the opening of the Ford African Rainforest. In 2009, Ozzy made history when he became the first gorilla in the world to ever participate in a voluntary blood pressure reading. Even at that point, he was geriatric, already 48 years old. Gorillas are considered to be geriatric after around the age of 40, so, um... 61 is quite impressive. During his life, Ozzy was a prolific breeder and has many children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren at accredited zoos in the U.S. and Canada, as well as his own troopmates still uh, back at Zoo Atlanta. Sending my love to the gorilla care team, the veterinary team, and really everyone at Zoo Atlanta who will surely be missing this incredible animal. The North Carolina Zoo has announced that it will be closing its aviary to the public because avian flu was detected in wild birds in eastern North Carolina. The avian flu is a highly contagious viral disease that can spread rapidly among domestic, poultry, and wild birds. If allowed to spread, it can have devastating effects on poultry farms and birds living in zoos and wildlife centers. Hopefully this outbreak is contained quickly because I don't know if y'all know this, but birds fly and they travel and uh, it could be a real problem for the bird population of the U.S. if this isn't nipped in the bud. That said, I do want to let you all know that um, it is incredibly rare for uh, avian flu to to transmit from birds to humans. So uh, no, no worries about it from like our health, but also, you know, birds matter, y'all. 
And speaking of the North Carolina Zoo, they have teamed up with the St. Louis Zoo and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to breed Virgin Islands tree boas as part of the Fish and Wildlife Service's recovery plan for the species. Last year, the St. Louis Zoo successfully reproduced two pairs of Virgin Island tree boas that resulted in four offspring, and the hope is that what they learned will be applied at North Carolina Zoo and St. Louis Zoo to help grow this population. Yay, conservation in zoos. And speaking of conservation in zoos, the Oregon Zoo and the San Diego Zoo will soon be diving into important conservation programs with Polar Bears International. The plan is to help scientists understand how polar bears swim, move, and eat in order to better protect their wild counterparts. This is known as the Polar Bear Research Council Master Plan, because apparently they're good at coming up with polar bear research topics, but bad at naming things, and uh, is done in partnership with Polar Bears International. So it's going to be really cool to see some of the captive polar bears, such as Nora and Amelia Gray at the Oregon Zoo, being used to, uh, you know, help their wild counterparts. Ambassadors indeed. You may remember from a recent Zoo News episode that the Toronto Zoo had to close back down because of concerns over COVID-19. Well, the zoo is happy to announce that they will be reopening on February 10th, 2022. Technically, the zoo is able to reopen on January 31st. However, while they were closed, they decided to take the opportunity to work on some exciting new stuff for the zoo, including site-wide Wi-Fi, washroom renovations, and a permanent vaccine booster clinic on site. How cool is that? Very cool. Very, very cool. As such, the the projects are going to take a little bit longer to complete than uh, January 31st. So rather than open up for uh, people and a bunch of construction, they're just going to be opening up on January 10th. So if you're going to go, make sure you get your timed tickets because they are still required. Make sure you bring masks and get your butt back to the Toronto Zoo and support that incredible conservation organization. The Bantam Zoo in England has announced that they now have a female red panda in residence. This is important, as they already had a male named Jasper, and the two have been brought together, hopefully to mate as part of the European breeding program for red pandas. Jasper and his new girlfriend, Mithila, who came from Sweden, and is there a more Swedish red panda name than Mithila? Come on, that's amazing have been introduced and things seem to be going well. And I admit that a pairing of red pandas in a zoo for breeding isn't exactly newsworthy, but it's my podcast and I wanted to talk about the adorable red panda. So, um, plus, I mean, this is really cool, y'all. A Swedish red panda going to hang out with a prim and proper English red panda. I mean, I'd watch the heck out of that sitcom, wouldn't you? And that brings us to Stereotypical Animal Podcast Theme Song Here to bring you to Conservation News We start our conservation news this week with cool news out of Cuba 
Cuba has named East Los Colorados Archipelago a new protected area, which covers 291 square miles of mangrove forests, seagrass beds, and climate-resilient corals, which includes spawning sites for several economically important species of groupers and mutton, cubera, and gray snappers. This is amazing, not only because that is a ton of protected space, but because with this new law passing, a total of 28.5% of the marine continental shelf of Cuba is now protected. That's right, over a quarter of Cuba's shores are now protected. That's amazing. This new area is really important for the conservation of critically endangered hawksbill sea turtles and also of an environment that supports a lot of migratory birds as they make their way past the island. This is just amazing. Great job, Cuba. Also, you know, good cigars. Good, good cigars. Oh, and you know what? Let's just keep talking about sea turtles because I adore them. Uh, Cleveland has recently banned large balloon releases. That's really exciting. We need more cities to do this and, you know, states and eventually a federal ban. Um, also, you know... I wish it was small balloon releases too, but hey, whatever. This is a huge step. Balloons cause a lot of problems for sea turtles and other marine life and stuff. But, you know, sea turtles. And uh, with that being said, Cleveland has taken a huge step here to uh, to help save sea turtles and other marine life. So um, just thank you to the uh, City Council of Cleveland for taking this incredible step. I'm so happy about it, I'm not even going to insult your football team right now. And in even more sea turtle conservation news, um, there are specialty license plates that you can get if you live in Florida that uh, have a sea turtle on them and say, save sea turtles, and uh, the money from them is used to help save sea turtles. Now, that's not news. That's That's been around forever and I think is awesome. But uh, recently, studies done being funded by by those license plates have shown that um, there is an increase in disorientation amongst sea turtle hatchlings because of light pollution. Now, we've talked about this on the podcast a lot before. So, you know, assuming you've heard some of that, you know that sea turtles get distracted by light. They, they're looking for the horizon over the ocean, and instead they see lights by humans the other way, and so turtles wander in the wrong way. And um, the, the data being gathered right now by the studies funded by the license plates are showing that um, the disorientation is up in ways that it hasn't been for the past 30 years. This is disappointing, especially because in those 30 years, there have been a lot of innovations in lighting where now it's easier than ever to get lights that you can have on and that the turtles won't see. And um, a lot of people are doing that. Uh, you know, I talked about it on my episode where we went and found sea turtle nests down in uh, down in Florida with Moat Marine Lab. Uh, but it, it's interesting to see that these numbers are actually going up. Fortunately, because they're going up, people are already coming up with plans to combat this and to educate people about what they can do to help the sea turtles using the new lighting technology. And we're going to keep it with sea turtles for yet another story. Um, 
there is a new study that has turned out that using lights on nets when you're fishing greatly reduces accidental bycatch of sharks, rays, sea turtles, and unwanted fish. Now, this is one of those things that is amazing in the conservation world because we always talk about stuff like, hey, this place is banning releasing large balloons. And then the people who love releasing large groups of balloons are like, boo, screw sea turtles. We like our balloons. But this is a true win-win because commercial fisheries are very specific about the kind of fish that they're trying to catch. It's not just the endangered species they got to watch out for, but a net can only hold so many fish. And so like if you are a salmon company and you're catching tuna, that's not great either. In total, it can reduce the amount of bycatch by 63%, which included 95% reduction in sharks, skates, and rays, an 81% reduction in Humboldt squid, and a 48% reduction in unwanted fish. So when you take the other fish out of it, it's even more successful than that. This is really amazing. And by the way, we're not talking some crazy lighting system or some crazy new nets. We're talking about taking gill nets, which are the common nets used by commercial fisheries, and adding green LED lights every 10 meters on them. Also, as an added bonus to fishermen, the um, nets themselves, by being lit, are easy to find and retrieve and disentangle, cutting down the amount of time it takes to do all of that by 57%. This is just an absolute huge win for everyone, and I am so here for it. And we now leave behind sea turtle conservation, but I refuse to get out of the water, much like a child that didn't want to take a bath and then doesn't want to leave, because I need to tell you that Hawaii has become the first state to ban shark fishing. This is a huge deal because what a lot of governments try to do, including Hawaii back in 2010, is to ban the possession, sale, trade, and distribution of shark fins. That's, you know... Something, but it's not enough to completely ban the hunting and uh, fishing of sharks. And as such, there are then loopholes that people can use to, um, you know, do that thing. And then if they get rid of their catch quickly enough, they don't get in any trouble. Now, if you are fishing for sharks, you are breaking the law. Great job, Hawaii. I'm surprised Nebraska has never come up with a law. Oh, no, no ocean. And finally, in what has turned into a completely underwater conservation news segment, uh, scientists who have eavesdropped on a restored coral reef in Indonesia say their recordings of fish whooping, croaking, and growling are proof that the reef is coming back to life. Researchers used underwater microphones to record at the site, and said that the sounds that they heard are proof that the reseeding of new corals on the reef have been successful. The sounds, many of which had never been recorded before, prove that the reef is growing and bringing in new fish. Yay! It's also kind of a really cool way to track the, uh, the, the growth of the overall ecosystem of that coral reef. So a uh, nice innovative conservation work being done out in Indonesia. And that was your very, very wet conservation news. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's 
The state of California is cracking down on service dogs. If a dog has not been specifically obedience and task trained and there is not an ADA qualifying disability, then a dog is not considered a service dog under ADA law, which is Americans with Disabilities Act, in case you did not know that. ESAs, also known as emotional support animals, are not service dogs and fall under the guidance of the Fair Housing Act. They are welcome in a home with proper documentation and authorization, but they are not allowed in places where only service animals are allowed. This includes pets, puppies, pets riding in grocery carts, buying an online certificate that your dog is a service dog, and then saying, hey, it's a real service dog, dogs off leash and out of the control of their owner. Uh, yeah, there, there are kind of a lot of things that people do and then are like, oh, it's a service dog. And California is not going to allow it anymore. They are really cracking down, calling it lying and fraud don't think lying is something that you can actually like use as a legal term, but fraud definitely is. So if you are a person in California who is using your quote service dog as though it is an actual service dog, uh, I, I would recommend being careful. And, and yes, I know at least one of you that does this in my personal world. And um, yeah, be, be careful. Don't, don't get the crack down cracking down. Japanese macaques, also known as snow monkeys, are a patriarchal society. Until now. This is starting to sound like a movie trailer. But in fact, it's just the story of Yakai, the first female leader of a troop of 677 Japanese macaques at the Takasakiyama Natural Zoological Garden in Japan. The troop has lived there for 70 years, and um, this new female leader named Yakai is the first female to take a leadership role. In her life, she uh, she had to climb to power. Uh, she had to overthrow her own mother to become the top female monkey in the group. And then she started fighting multiple high-ranking males, winning every battle before ultimately taking on and beating the troops then leader for the highest-ranking spot. After dismantling the patriarchy, Yakai has been unchallenged as the leader of this troop. So, uh... Yeah, Japanese macaques beat the United States for having a, a female leader. And boy, she had to work hard to get there. But hey, at the end of the day, it's a great story of smashing the patriarchy. Female humans, do your thing. I'm here to support you. Much like my grandfather when he pulls out his handkerchief, hippos make a wheeze-honk noise. And uh, scientists are starting to figure out exactly what that noise means. Scientists studying hippos at a nature reserve in Africa say the distinctive wheeze-honks enable the large mammals to tell friend from foe. In fact, the team believes that the animals can recognize individuals from their voices, just like we can sometimes, until you get a phone call and they just say, hey, what's up? And you're like, crap, I don't know this number and I don't know this voice. But hippos don't have cell phones, so that probably doesn't happen to them. And also we have like caller ID now, so it rarely happens to us. Good example, John. 
Anyway, the study is ongoing and there's still a lot to figure out, but it is definitely starting to show that each hippo has a unique voice and that it seems like the social relationships between individuals is furthered by recognizing those voices over even a great distance. As I mentioned, they're not 100% certain of this yet, but what scientists did notice is that when a hippo heard a voice that it didn't seem to recognize, it would instantly respond quicker, louder, and with more frequent calls, and also would do the territorial display of dung spraying, which is hilarious thanks to their wiggly little tails. It'll be interesting to see if this theory is proven, but it does seem very likely based on the current evidence, and is also really freaking cool. The country of Spain just passed a new law focusing on animal welfare. Pets are no longer considered an object, but sentient beings, and in fact are now legal family members. This means they have the capacity of expressing emotions and feelings, and as such, in cases of a separation, pets cannot be seized, abandoned, mistreated, mortgaged, or even removed from one of the owners. It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out, but... uh. Pets are family members, and it's really nice to see Spain making that legally the case. Okay, and that brings us to another news segment called What the is Happening in Pennsylvania? Y'all, I don't know if my home state is just missing its favorite conservation educator or what, but there is some weird poop going down with animals in Pennsylvania right now. I have two stories to share with you. The first one is that um, there is a scared animal that was taken into a woman's basement that no one knows what it is. A woman found paw prints outside her door, and she followed the tracks, assuming that they belonged to her neighbor's dog, and uh, they ended up leading her to a, well, I don't know, an unidentified animal, uh, which she said was exhibiting scared behavior. So um, it was scared and cold and shivering, and she thought this animal needs help. So she was able to lure the animal into her basement and out of the cold. At first, she thought it was a coyote or a dog, and she wasn't really sure, so she called Wildlife Works, a local rescue, and uh, transferred the creature to their care. But... None of them know what it is. Uh, they thought it might be something like a coyote or dog, like mentioned before, so they were worried about rabies. So um, they're doing genetic testing and trying to figure it out. The animal is timid and isn't showing any signs of aggression, so they think it might just be a weird-ass-looking dog with some mange, and they're treating it for that mange right now, but they're really not sure. So yeah, just uh, an animal that experts can't identify roaming around in Pennsylvania. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And that's the least weird of the two stories. Last Friday, a trailer carrying 100 monkeys collided with a dump truck just off I-80 in Danville, Pennsylvania. Uh, according to state police, four of those monkeys got loose and were on the prowl. One day later, three of the monkeys had been recaptured, but one still had not been. And then the three that were recaptured were euthanized. And they have not said why. State police have made a point of saying that if you see the remaining escaped monkey, do not approach it. Do not try to capture it and call 911 immediately. 
When asked why and if it had anything to do with the euthanasia, an officer said that the concern was due to it not being a domesticated animal and them being in an unknown territory, thus it is hard to say how they would react to a human approaching them. But again, they euthanized the other three that escaped. Cool. My personal theory is that the monkeys in question, which were on their way to a lab, were in fact macaques, and the ones that escaped were euthanized because people in power thought they would try to overthrow the patriarchy. Oh, he ends the segment on a callback. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, hey! All right, y'all, the animal holiday season is heating up. First of all, a quick uh, reminder, and I'm going to call it a reminder, although that's a lie because I don't think I've said it yet, but 2022 is the year of the wild cat. That's, you know, something that Peppermint Narwhal decided themselves, but like, I'm here for it because wild cats are awesome. Also, my high school mascot was the wild cat, so um, this is my year, I guess. Sure. Anyway, moving on from that, uh, today, the day that the episode comes out is January 28th, which is World Jeffrey's Cat Day. And then rounding out your January animal holidays, January 31st is International Zebra Day, unless you have a cool like English or South African accent, in which case it is International Zebra Day. Zebra. Then we get to February, and February is Adopt a Rescue Rabbit Month, International Hoof Care Month, Fishing Cat February, and National Bird Feeding Month. As far as individual days in February, we are starting off big. February 1st is Chinese New Year, which is the Year of the Tiger this year, and is also Serpent Day. February 2nd is Groundhog Day, Hedgehog Day, World Wetlands Day, and Ostrich Day. So many days. And spoiler alert, we're not going to get another individual day until February 13th. I really think that the the Animal Dates Society, I know that doesn't exist, but the, the community that comes up with these needs to do a much better job of spreading these out. But anyway, those are your animal holidays for the week. And that brings us to the end of this week's Zoo News. And I'm really excited because I have to leave for the theater in like 10 minutes. Boy, I got this done just by the skin of my teeth. Woo, go John. Also, go Laura Shank, who is my Red Panda level patron on Patreon. Again, don't forget to check out patreon.com slash rossafari to support the pod. And I'd like to say thank you to all of the people who contributed stories for this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan. Kim Cooley, Amanda Morrill, Kristen Khalil, Liz Dunleavy, Ken Tyrion, and my new friend at hippie underscore ape on Instagram. Thank you all for sharing these stories. I really, really appreciate y'all. And I don't really have time to say anything else here. Nothing witty, nothing anything. Just a reminder that the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. 
Rasafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.